Don Rahul Jimenez. How amateur is that? Like, you don't even see that down in the park. If they, if they lose, it provides great content. I am supporting every team that plays break. I'm not making a documentary this year about how shit my club is. Mudman, thank you as always. Who would you rather lose it to, by the way, me or Johnny? That's somebody's choice. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Football Bubble podcast. We're a little bit later this week. It's the 3rd of March. We're in the March. I feel like we've been in March for a year now, to be honest. Um, 2021. Myself, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Phil. Just, uh, thank you. I didn't need to say my name there, Phil. Uh, the Brain, Patrick Renshaw. Hello, Patrick. Hello, folks. Uh, leader of the Mo Salah fan club. And obviously, Mr. Tall, the Commander-in-Chief, Bretton Hagen. Hello, Bretton. Good evening. How are we? Oh, not too bad, sir. Are you that tall that when I, and I'm not small, when I talk to you, there's delay now? Is that, what, is that what's happening? Is there a delay here? Yeah. No, it's no, not. When I said when I said to you there, there was delay. Um, we've a lot to get into this week. Obviously, talk about the football. Man City's outrageous twenty-one win run. Uh, the Chelsea Manchester United at the weekend. We'll get into that with Stephen obviously and Brenton on the podcast. Some mad VAR decisions, and then Zlatan wanted to make himself uh, be known again by being a complete moron. And obviously, there's a five-country World Cup bid. That will possibly involve all of us, so um, we'll chat about that. We'll we'll start with Man City first, uh, gentlemen, because we've given them an awful kick at the times in this podcast because none of us are Man City fans and none of us like them. But twenty-one wins, Brenton, is quite the feat. Just a bit, yeah. Um, ach, yeah, they've won the league, like. Um, <laughs> I think that that's quite scary because what is it? Twelve games to go, um, and they're in a posi- they're still in a position where they can maybe completely focus on the Champions League, which is when Man City are in a position where they can completely focus on the Champions League and they look like they can defend. Um, that's that scares me the most because um, obviously I don't want them to win it, but uh, yeah, I just think. Nobody else is good enough um, to challenge them, apart from them being ridiculous themselves. I think, obviously, with Liverpool, um, the injuries they've had the season that they've ended up having, uh, all the bad luck. Um, I think if anyone, they, they would have obviously been right up there. But beyond that, um, the other teams aren't aren't anywhere near close enough. And... Yeah, I think they're they're fantastic and they're great to watch too. You must say um, I've watched a couple of their games recently and um, how you I mean how high up the pitch that they start. Um, Stones, Diaz, even Laporte getting goals, and you know not headers like the the goal Stones scored the other day where he sweep one in from the edge of the box like, yeah. and that's your centre half like. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's complete football, and they deserve to be where they are. Patrick, what do you make of this city side? And I know it's hard not to, and you as well, Steve, it's hard not to look at them and think of the money, obviously, that's involved. And I think city fans get really touchy now when you start talking about that. But you look at their bench, for instance, last night, Paddy, right? The bench last night, and they did rest players, which is mad too, when they were playing... Um, Wolves, who Wolves been their bogey team, was Gundogan, hang on, I have it here in front of me, sorry, uh, Gundogan, Ferran Torres, John Stone, Sergio Aguero, Zinchenko, Zach Steffen, the young goalkeeper, Fernandinho, Phil Foden and Eric Garcia. It's crazy, just whenever Brendan was talking there, I quickly had a look at their, I, I remembered from, from the weekend, I remember thinking that bench is ridiculous, uh, you know, not the Wolves game, the West Ham game, and, and while Brendan was talking there, I 
quickly looked up how much they all cost. So this is the bench for the West Ham game. Sterling, 50 million. Laporte, 58 million. Rodri, 56. Bernardo Silva, 45 million. Mendy, 52 million. Cancelo, 58 million. Jesus, 30 million. Backkeeper, Stefan, 6 million. And then Foden, obviously, youth product. So, like, you know, that's mind-blowing, like, um, fair play to City that put together an unbelievable, an unbelievable run. Um, you know, and it's, it's nearly, it's so good, it's become boring. You just expect them to win. And, you know, that's probably a sign of a, of a fantastic team. You just, their machine, they're turning out wins all the time and they're doing it with some style and panache. But in truth, you know, yeah, it is what it is. I, I have a very little insight to add. Like, I, I'm sort of bored <laughs> by them. And, uh, you know, they can go and throw whatever money they want at it. And, um, you know, I just, I just can't stand the whole Man City project. Um, we've talked about it a lot on this. I, um, it's, it's just, it's like they've sort of completed football, but they're trying to take over the world as well. They're like a fatty in a, in a, in like a film or something. You know, they've got all these like little limbs growing out all over the world that are slowly just sucking everything in. Um, and I hear like that because that's not like really what football octopus. is. Like a giant octopus, exactly. Just have their teams out in New York and Melbourne and wherever. And it just stinks. It's just not what football is. I just, uh, uh, you know, you know, you could look at this and say, well, it's, it's jealousy. They're doing well, but I just don't like it. Uh, I'm just, you know, I know Liverpool have spent money and, and, and plenty of other teams have, but there just seems something more pure about some other English football teams. Like Liverpool have, have done it in quite a sustainable way and obviously historically a big club. Manchester United, historically big club. Uh, City just seem like this little upstart that won't piss off and just keep, <laughs> keep signing £50 million players put on their bench. Um, and I don't really, I've never really warmed to Pep Guardiola and I just... I just don't like them, Philly. You know, <laughs> Steve, you're obviously on the other side of Manchester, so they probably annoy you the most out of everyone. Um, uh, no, but yeah. as in, like, as in, I know you, you know, you have the hatred for Liverpool because I mean, not whatever, but they, they are city rivals. <laughs> I mean, sorry. Um, how much do you wish you had a prime Alex Ferguson right now to go go up against Pep Guardiola? I know you went up against him. Uh, uh, 2009-2011 but Fergie was coming to an end and how much do you wish it would prime Fergie to go right up against this Pep Guardiola yeah especially with this current United squad as well I think he could probably make a better fist of it than the current uh, manager is doing but no I, I tend to agree with everything the lad said before like the City project just as a whole is gross it's it's disgusting it's, it's, it's sports washing you know everything that's going on in that region of the world um, and that's never good. Like, and no matter, Man City fans can, can give out about people talking about money all they want, but like, they go on about John Stones as if they picked him up playing football outside, you know, on the street, like, you know, and not <laughs> someone that they paid millions of pounds for. Um, and I, I completely get it. Like, and it's funny, I actually, you know, uh, uh, like, I think the record, like, it has to be acknowledged um how well they've done like 21 games one in a row is 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 incredible like no no matter what way you put it but like as i think we said last week like they're one of the teams that are benefiting from no fans because it's making no difference at whatsoever to their players um phil foden especially like i mean is really really one of these players that's benefiting from from not having the weight of expectation that comes with a crowd or having to put up with hostile crowds or anything like that it's interesting i was looking at their record though in terms of like we their defense has obviously been amazing this year but every time they've conceded more than more than two or two goals or more this season they've lost um which is interesting as well like so if teams can ever get at them there's a yeah there's a weakness obviously there. Um now you're having to go right right back for 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 those results. But it is worth kind of noting that they do the, the hardest part about it is how boring it is, like Patrick said there. Like I mean, they have been coasting like for most of these games. Like I've just stopped watching them a lot of the time. It's a bit like Liverpool last year. It's just so inevitable that they were going to win every game. What's the point? What is the point in having it on the TV? Like um so that's kind of where I stand. And like yeah, yeah, credit. I don't I don't think this is by any means Pep's 
best team. I don't think it's his, it's even his best city team. But what I do think is that they have adapted the best to the weird world of football we're currently in. Um, and I do, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think they have a really good shot at the Champions League this year. And I just cannot abide the thought of them winning the Champions League. Do you yeah, think that I, the season looks sorry. a lot different if there's fans? I, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Liverpool have a much better record to begin with. There's, there's nothing. I think United probably have a worse record. I think City have a worse record. I think smaller teams, um, like I think the likes of Aston Villa are probably benefiting from no fans and things like that. So it's, it, I, I think we see a very, very different league table. Uh, West Ham, I don't think are anywhere near the top four if we have fans, because we know how toxic that fan base is, that, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, so like I do think it has made a difference. And I do, like, I'm not going to begrudge anyone anything, but I do think this season for every all around Europe has to come with an asterisk besides the the champions. Like it has to because it's just been so strange. Yeah, it's like I, like I'm Sheffield United were on the night they're on the night at the minute against Aston Villa, and you, if they had fans, they wouldn't be down at the bottom. There's yeah. some games where it's been tight for them, and and they've just been sucker punched. Or they maybe started off slow. That doesn't happen. We know what that place was like last year. Packed. Deadly to go to. A nightmare stadium to go to. And you think of Ellen Road. Packed. It's already mental because that team's uh, like an absolute gang of kamikaze pilots. But when they have a crowd behind them, you might, like that would be frightening. So, yeah, I agree with all, all three. Three is there on it. Like it's, it is hard to... Um, I find it hard to credit them and 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 not sound like I'm just doing it to appease people or not being smart about it, like because you cannot take away what's what's back in them and what's behind them. And despite all the teams, yes, I've spent, but as Patrick says, like the tentacles going everywhere now and and what's been going on. And Pep, I really loved him at Barcelona, I really did, and, and I had started coaching then, and I, I was reading everything about him and what was going on and. And even when he went to Bayern Munich and did what he did there, it was unreal. And then there's just something has been about him at the City project. It's almost like as well, he's tried to drum up like this siege mentality type thing at Man City, as in like the whole world's against them. Uh, I don't think it was a bit of a nonsense. But um, look, I, the inevitable thing is they are going to win the Champions League. Um, if City fans listen to this, I, I'm sorry, but I hope it... It doesn't happen for a long time, but it might happen this this uh, summer. Um, but we'll wait and see. One thing, and, and even, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say, echoing what you just said, Philly, and and and, and what uh, what Steve touched on. Even if City go and win every game for the rest of the season, including the Champions League, they will never be looked on the same way, like in the chronicles of time that Pep's Barcelona team is. Like, there's just not the same. Well. I don't think there's the same affection for them. They don't they don't play a scintillating football. They'll be a football, no. you know. Yeah. Uh, the record's unbelievable. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't think they'll ever be revered like uh, like Pep's Barcelona. Yeah, like like we would all have tried to watch that Barcelona side on Sky Sports on a Sunday night. You know what I mean? What helped as well was that rivalry that that between Messi and Ronaldo and Barcelona and Real Madrid that was obviously massive at the time and it obviously still is, but it was like it was literally taking over everything. Whereas I don't know if there's that much of affection, as you said, Patrick, towards City outside of England, or is, is people tuning in all the time to watch this Man City team? I'm not sure. Ryan ha- I Hon had a, had a piece on, um, he was talking about it on the Stadio podcast for the Ringer. He's talking about the, the Munch and Gladbach game, and how Gladbach sort of, when they went that City, they did cause City a bit of problems, and he was sort of saying, maybe, as you said, Steve, maybe the best mode of attack for this Man City team is just to go at them. First 20, 25 minutes, just go at them all, hell for leather, and see what you can do. And then if you can get that lead, just try and dig in. Now, obviously, that's going to be diff- really difficult with the players they have, but that's maybe something that you might see as they meet maybe a higher quality side in the Champions League that they might do. If they come up against Bayern Munich in the, in the knockout stages, that, something like that might happen. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens going on. I hope they don't win it. It's not Liverpool. I'd like to see someone else apart from Man City win it this year. Um Gents, we'll we'll move away from actual football talk for a minute, and uh, unfortunately, we have to talk about uh, the doofus that is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, now, Steve, uh, anyone that listened to our, our little podcast that we had, uh, might bring back at some point. You never know. The Babel Screen, where we were talking constantly about basketball, will know that 
we're massive LeBron James fans. I know Brenton is as well. Probably not a big basketball fan. It's okay. You know who LeBron James is. Um, what did you make, Steve, of Zlatan's comments this week? What was your initial reaction? I was not... Well, I wasn't surprised to begin with because I think this has always been in Zlatan to kind of make an arse of himself. Um, and I think... I think it's just a really bad look. I think here's a white athlete coming out and criticising a black athlete for standing up for minority rights. And it's like... Like, is it, is surely he has this, like, team of PR advisors around him because every part of his personality seems to be constructed within an inch, within an inch of its life, like, who are saying to him, dude, like, this is a really, really bad look. Um, like, all, all LeBron James does is, is, is talk about equality, talk about social injustice, talk about racism, and then put his money where his mouth is. Like, he, he, funds schools, he funds the right to vote campaign, he actually backs up what he says, he says, and this whole idea from Zatan that like sports people should stick to sports, it's just such, why shouldn't athletes or musicians or whoever has a personality use it for good, Jesus there's enough sports people trying to sell us products or you know trying to as we were just talking about Man City, trying to ignore the fact that, you know, there's a regime built on the blood of slaves to, to for oil. Like, um, So there's enough bad things in sport that we should absolutely celebrate the good things. And LeBron James is absolutely one of the good ones. Paddy, you wanted, you, you messaged as soon as this came out, you wanted to bring this up on the podcast this week. So, like, when it came across... When you saw what Slatan had done uh, and how it come out, what, what how did you feel about it? And what do you think? What was your initial reaction? Phil, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Can I quickly can I quickly just read out for context what he said in case in case people haven't yes. seen it? Yeah, certainly. Go on. Um, he was he was asked in an interview for his his opinion of LeBron James, and um, the quote was, "I don't like when people have some kind of status. They go and do politics at the same time." Do what you're good at. Do the category you do. I play football because I'm the best at playing football. I don't do politics. If I would be a political politician, I would do politics. There you go. Paddy, where do you start? Yeah, it's, it's, um, he's an interesting character, you know. I, I think he's an absolute tube, like, and I, I don't <laughs> buy into, into all this, like, I am Zlatan bullshit that he likes to, you know, peddle and, as Steve said, you know, he's probably largely a construct of some PR team in Stockholm or something. But, you know, all this crap or I don't do trials. I think he said when he was at Arsenal, maybe give him a trial. He's a kid. Zlatan doesn't do trials. And all this third person garbage that he comes out with. He's an egotistical wipe. Like, he really is. You know, he loves this so much. Um, I suppose, you know, I suppose when you put that on a backdrop, he, you know, and I've read a wee bit more about Zlatan in the last few days just to sort of try and gauge what sort of a, a guy is or what's her upbringing. And I probably didn't realise the hardship that he had growing up. And he's obviously overcome the odds to be a, a very successful athlete and being very dedicated and, and persevered. Like, he, he came from, his parents were immigrants to Sweden and um, one was, his, his father was a, a Muslim uh, Bosnian and his mother was a Catholic Croatian. So probably escaping persecution and wars and things in their own homelands and it makes it like, worse though Paddy. I know well yeah. It sounds <laughs> like there's lots of poverty and alcohol dependence and things you know in his family. Um so I don't know if he if part of his sort of makeup has been just sort of don't talk about it and you know don't talk about you know things that are going on in your family, stay out of things. I don't know if that's been his sort of MO his whole life because of that but I agree you'd think logic would say if, if you've had that sort of uh, you know mixed sort of um, backgrounds of your family and things you would maybe have more tolerance but yeah he's I think he just he just can't get enough of himself really like he he's obviously plastered all over the social media and everyone's talking about him because of the stuff he said but I think anyone with half a brain would realize that some of the stuff that the likes of James and Rashford and Kaepernick and stuff have been doing over the last little while 
using their platform for good and sort of becoming cultural icons in the, in the process is is more important than than just coming out with sound bites and being a wanker really which is what Zlatan does <laughs> Jesus Christ um, yeah Britain like he he is a tool and he decided of all of all the athletes in the world to take his shot at he went for the for King James like he went for the one the one you don't the one you shouldn't really there's a couple I think Naomi Osaka which is where um, she's obviously still quite young but she knows what she's at she's so headstrong she's brilliant like she's going to be one you just she's going to be the queen just leave her alone do not go at her with anything stupid or you're going to get tied up in knots he went at LeBron James what a moron Brent yeah I think he he's maybe at a, he's obviously said controversial things in the past but I think he's he's at a stage now where he's not going to be able to play on much longer and he's trying to cling on to to some sort of relevance in the sporting world because um you see even in even in Milan you know Lukaku's getting the better of him um and he, he probably thought he would go there and um have a bit of a feel there but yeah I mean the 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 thing for me is the the fact that there are great examples now of of sports stars um, being political and changing the world for the better. Um, Paddy mentioned a few of them there, and, and LeBron is is probably the the biggest one of those. Um, and he could have joined that, you know, with with the hardship that Paddy mentioned he's he's had growing up and um, the athlete he made of himself. Um, it's a great story to you know inspire people and um, maybe people less fortunate than themselves or people in difficult positions but he's chose to do the complete opposite um, and to make it about himself again which is what he usually does uh, and I'm sure it was concocted up somewhere um, yeah to be relevant you, you go up against you know arguably one of the biggest sports stars in the world so um yeah, I don't think he, uh, you know, I don't see a lot of people agreeing with his point of view, um, especially when he is going after LeBron and, and he's doing such good work. Uh, it's kind of hard to argue the the opposite side of that, which is what he's tried to do. Um, so, yeah, I see him just fading um, and becoming less and less relevant. Yeah, it, like uh- of all ages as well to do this, what we have going on, and, and like even in, in football, I want it at the minute we have still players are taking taking the knee, and we're not saying here like you can't have an opinion on things like it, like you can, uh, they can be very wrong, and you can be you can be held kind of with that and and question it, obviously like, but like even the taking the knee, if if a, if I was in the team, say for instance, and say I was going to put it, and we were taking the knee, but. One of the players turned around and said to me, "I don't want to do this anymore, and this is why." I would support them still as my teammate, you know that kind of way. And like, I know they're not teammates and they're in different sports, but LeBron and Latan are are figures, you know. Especially like LeBron is obviously massive. Latan's he's pretty big too. And as you said, Brett, he could have joined them even if he didn't agree with it. He, he didn't have to come out and say that. He could have kept it to himself privately. And just, but still, you know, whatever. But no, Latin has used this. And you know what? He's got out of it what he wanted. He's got people talking about him again. Yeah, I was going to say, I just had a quick look before we started. Like, it's everywhere. It's ESPN, CNN, Fox News, and all the British uh, newspapers as well. Like, it is everywhere. Uh, And the thing is, you know, like... I think Zlatan is not as loved in Sweden as a player who has achieved as much as he has should be. And part of that is because of his surname, because of his background. You would think of all the people who would kind of get what James is trying to get at. Um, he would be the one, but he has obviously decided that, yeah, this is how I'm going to kind of bow out. It's not work. It's not quite happening for me on the field the way I expected. So I'm going to make a splash on the front pages instead. Um, do you and the think fact Steve- he went after an American as well, you know, as you said, there it's all over those big, um, big news outlets, and and he knows that they thrive off that sort of story, and they love all the clickbait shit, and yeah. you know, it's it's a perfect country to do it in and go after one of their biggest stars. 
Yeah, like I mean, the obvious one for him to go after would be Rashford. You know, if this is if if he was really talking about like footballers, say for example, being political, yeah. or whatever, yeah. like Rashford would have been the one to go after. But no, he he absolutely purposely chose James because he knew what it would generate in terms of news stories in the US, especially. Steve, do you think it had anything to do with the fact that when he came to LA, to LA Galaxy, he he told LA that they had a new king, there's a new king in town, even though like half of LA probably couldn't give a shit. And then all of a sudden LeBron goes to the Lakers, the one team in LA, the big team sorry, in LA, and he just takes over. And, and LA is his time now. Do you think there's anything in that? There's there's definitely something in it. I think yeah. yeah, he's always he's he has always tried to be like the number one person in wherever he goes, uh, and even like despite what is he thirty four now older, um, like he still has he sees himself as being the main man wherever he goes. I mean, like he, you know, the best player on the Lakers will always be the most important person in yeah. uh, sports. Like it's just that's the way it works, and that's the way it'll always work. Like LeBron James. At the, this moment in time, isn't even the best basketball player on his own team, but is he the most important and is he the highest profile? He absolutely is. So, like, I don't know what Slatan was thinking there, but I think, you know, you, you know, as they said in the war, you come with the king, you best not miss, like, um, <laughs> and he missed, he, he has missed by a long, long way. Ah, 39, um, by the way. 39, 39. Jesus. 39. Mm. This, is, this is because I'm so old. I don't. I, you know, <laughs> as we as we as we discovered last week with World Cup memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are 66. Um, Yo. <laughs> even uh, whenever uh, you were talking about how he's perceived in in Sweden, Steve, like wasn't it, he's sort of a bit of a an icon at mold, and then he went and invested money in Hammerby, and then became yeah. a bit of a, you know, uh, people were pulling down statues, and you know. He was losing a lot of kudos, and even in his homeland. So, like, yeah, my brother, my brother lives in Sweden, and he said that a feeling among certain people was he deliberately kind of sabotaged his own standing with the mold fans, um, because he he kind of gets this buzz off being the an an Asian provocateur or whatever you know, like, um, and a, a troll, a troll, yeah, essentially, yeah, essentially, and. You know, that did that did burn a lot of bridges, I think. Um but you know, like it's ironic that he's giving out about LeBron James using you know, running his mouth for good causes when all he ever does is run his mouth for his own benefit. Like I mean, you know, it, it's essentially two athletes not sticking to sports, but one is just trying to build a personal brand and one is actually trying to do some good in the world. Um and I don't know how anyone can come down on Zlatan's side in this argument, but I have no doubt that there is a certain category category of European and American sports fans who are reading the Zlatan headlines and going, yeah, I absolutely agree with him. Oh, right. I think that will do us for our Zlatan chat. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, he just... Uh, I love the volume. Uh, it 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 absolutely killed me, like, but I just it just winds me up. Um, so another all the big news this week was uh, that the five associations, football associations, all near us, Wales, Scotland, England, uh, FAA, and the FA, are potentially going to plan to bid for the twenty thirty uh, World Cup. Uh, as Bojo says, we're going to bring it home. Uh, Right, of course. Shut your face. What did you like? Like, so, Paddy, I know you're you're excited about this. So, I'll, we'll we'll have a little debate here between the four of us. What what is it? What did, when you saw this coming through, you're happy for it? Do you think this is something that could work? Like, tell me, tell me why this excites you. Well, from a purely selfish um, perspective as a Northern Ireland fan, it's probably the best opportunity we're going to have to qualify for World Cup. So. Uh, that's <laughs> paramount. Also, just the opportunity to have a World Cup so close. You know, it's it may never happen. You know, in our lifetime. So why not? Let's like, bring it on. Uh, be great. Bratton, are you excited? I'm in the exact same camp as Paddy. Um, and <clears throat> it's just the fact that I wouldn't. 
I, to be honest, I wouldn't really care that much if, uh, I know it would make a bit of a difference if Northern Ireland and, and the Republic, um, weren't in it. Um, but that wouldn't bother me that much. Um, as long as there was like high quality international football and uh, tournament football and the World Cup on your doorstep, um, is just a no brainer for me. And, uh, but I'm interested to hear the 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 argument to that which I know that you probably have. You're putting it across if I'm argumentative, Brent. Stephen, are, well, are you excited about shut your face? Are you excited about this prospect? I'm not a fan of it at all. I have to say, yes, Stephen. Uh, and and probably not for sporting for for sporting reasons. Absolutely, like Jesus, a World Cup on my doorstep, one hundred percent. My issue with it is. Is that the wrong people are going to get all the credit for it? Um, and the, how do I put this diplomatically? Uh, shithead politicians will benefit from it and very few other people. Um, I think that the investment, certainly down here, the investment is just like we have one stadium that would qualify, like the GAA stadiums. And the rugby stadiums meet the capacity, but only with only with standing terrace. It's not not fully seated. Um, so the Aviva is in the Croke Park could be used. So there's two. You would think to be useful in any bid, Ireland. The I'm sorry, the Republic of Ireland would need to provide at least three stadiums. Um, or stadia. Sorry, the grammar police are going to get onto me. Um, and. I can't see where the third one comes from. I really can't see it. But, um, but from a pure sporting point of view, like if it's like going back to our last conversation, stick to sports. Yeah. Like if a World Cup this close, like we thought the Euros were going to be this close this summer and that looks like it's not happening now. Um, but I, I would absolutely love to see like Costa Rica versus Saudi Arabia in the Aviva Stadium 100%. Ah, like the sporting aspect of it. Brilliant. But, also, one of my points as well would be five nations hosting the World Cup's a joke. And if they're going to expand the World Cup, uh, which they've tried to do with the Euros, just have a 200-team World Cup all year round. Fuck it. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to do this, like trying to build more teams, that, like the World Cup is so perfect as what it is the minute. I think as a tournament, like, and it comes around every four years and whatever, and it's so perfect. And they're trying to, this would be another way of trying to dilute football with something else. I think, like, maybe you can get two countries to host it, which you've seen before. That's grand, that's worked well. But if you're starting to bring in five in, I don't get that. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that because then you've five that'll have qualified automatically. So then the rest you're trying to make up if you only keep it to the, the, the what is it, 32 teams. You've 27 teams trying to get from the rest of the world. No, this is just nonsense. Another thing as well, um, as you were saying, Steve, would be the fact that the wrong people get credit. Also, we can't look after grassroots football. Not about this island at the minute. Um, mostly Northern Ireland, Steve. You might you might be able to help in here as well on the side. We can't look after grassroots football as it is, and now we're going to pump money into bringing the World Cup here. You know, the IFA and I might get in trouble with this, but the IFA can't even organise an an Irish Cup. At the minute during the pandemic, they're trying to get teams that haven't played for over a year now to get no training and get ready to play maybe premiership teams in the Irish Cup on on whatever notice. It's absolutely far. So how are they going to help organise or be part of a World Cup? They're not. I have no clue what they're doing. Plus, are we just playing corruption bingo now? Like, is that what the crack is? You know what I mean? We're playing, like, but I, I think... I think for the right. IFA, I, I can understand the difficulty with the, the, the cup. Like, it's very, whenever you don't have a professional league and most, most players have jobs and things, like, it's, it's not as a case of, like, you know, bubbles and testing. It, it was always going to be a disaster, that cup, you know. They shouldn't be playing. I think that's and tough. They didn't tell the league, Pat, that they were going to, the, when the, the Irish Cup was going to happen. They just announced it with no consultation. So how do we know they're going? To, you know what I mean? I I don't trust that. So I that would be my argument. And pumping the whole money into building it and getting it sorted, especially here in this island, when we can't look after our grassroots team and and, and teams and different things and some of our youth football and our women's football, I just think our money could be spent better elsewhere. I think this is my 
this is my um, rebellious socialist head on that my mother gave me, unfortunately, my mother's side of the family. But I just see this as a certain political, um, well, there's fins up, cert, uh, a certain political party using this as like a celebratory piece to make themselves look good. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I don't think though economically it would also benefit this area. Like you think the thing of, is though that like I'm just thinking of big, big events, um, especially in this part of the world, and I'm talking Northern Ireland and Ireland, um, the tourism opportunities, you know, are unbelievable. You saw, you know, I certainly saw. When the Open Championship um, was at Portrush, the, the the place was absolutely buzzing, and from all reports, continues continue to be buzzing up until obviously COVID, etc. Um, you know, restaurants, bars, infrastructure, um, and then you know, golfing tours. It was for for that part of the world, obviously. Um, but you know, you think of of all the Americans, South Americans will come over here and absolutely love it. A completely different part of the world, and um, they would come back, uh, and also you know our our bars and restaurants are some of the you know the best food and drink you can offer in the world. Hospitality ways, um, it would benefit for years to come. I think. I think that's actually a really good point. And where I live, um, is quite close to where they held the Ryder Cup. Um, mm. and I got a three lane basically motorway outside my house which may cut the time it took to drive to my parents house in half uh, so there are definitely benefits um for for that come with it and you're right like it's the long-term benefits it's people who you know say the us and australia qualify it's people who with irish ancestry come home um that kind of thing all benefits and then there's, there's the side effects of that and like you said south americans um, people from Asia maybe who, who are not as used to this part of the world get to see it maybe added to their tourist destination all that is good I, do you know what I think Phil kind of I, I think both Phil and I are skirting around the the main reason we're against it and like for me it's that Tories would get a bounce from it and the thought of that <laughs> just horrific um, and that's that's predominantly what's putting me off the idea. And down down here, it's Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael getting a bounce from it as well. Like I'm no interest in and in any of those three parties kind of being seen as beneficiaries or the reason that we got something like this happen. I do think the the the, the UEFA kind of makeup is really interesting because when this idea was first mooted. John Delaney from the FAI was a vice president of UEFA. He has obviously fallen very far from grace um, recently. And uh, the English representative, I can't remember his name, but I know he has now gone as well. So whereas Spain and Portugal, who were also kind of in the running for it, both have vice presidents um, with UEFA. So they really, I think, from a European bid, have probably are probably the front runners. But I think I think what has to be said is that, like, this part of the world, the United Kingdom, Ireland, it probably does deserve a World Cup. I mean, it's been a long time. Like, considering, you know, how much money, particularly the English FA put into football, how much money English clubs generate, you know, worldwide and things like that. It, it kind of feels like they are, the English FA in particular are punished unfairly, I think, on a global scale. Um, like, why is there a World Cup in Russia? But not in the UK. Like it, it doesn't really feel fair. Um, so I think there are. A lot, I can again from a sporting point of view, it's just that Tory thing. I'm sorry, it's just the Tory bounce that I can't get over. <laughs> I like. I think anyone that knows me knows that's what it is with me. But it's uh, selfish. Like what Patrick was saying. Like Finn will be ten. Miles obviously Steve will be ten. Telly will be what seventeen. Jesus. You know, we're thinking yeah, as, as as parents. Could be like, uh, they could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, we we could all be going down as a as a gang to watch games. Don't, that that would be it. Would I could be sold on it that way? But there is still a part of me, obviously, whatever. And then the chance to see Kylian Mbappe, he'd be he'd be thirty at the time, strolling down um, O'Connell Street or strolling down uh, the Omo Embankment with a flat white would be pretty cool too. 
Look at me, you know. Goodness, he's only like, 30, that is crazy. I know, I know, like, so he'd be in his prime. Uh, and Haaland, and Sancho. Uh, so, yeah, there are obviously unbelievable... You're talking yourself down, into it. I, I'm talking <laughs> yeah. myself into this. The sport bit is never a doubt, like, never, ever a doubt. Yeah. It's just the, who gets the kick from it, who gets the... What? The big win. Yeah, I don't really care about that. Like, they're always going to get their kick, <laughs> you know. Somewhere. Yeah, and even like in terms of kick, like, does anyone remember that the that that you know Labour were were the the party whenever London were awarded the Olympics? Not really. Like, no one really cares. It, yes, it, it maybe seems like that at That's the minute, right. but you know, you'll quickly forget about it. Like, and like uh, Boris and all those clowns will will manage to muck it up to themselves at some stage so I don't I don't think they'll actually get it I don't know why I, just, I don't think they'll get it um, who knows they, they could be getting the Euros here uh, certainly England Scotland and possibly Wales will be getting the Euros so it, it, that might be their trial run and, and it could be the thing where they go forward um, and listen in 10 years time like I'll be absolutely buzzing I'll be hopefully we'll be uh, full time with all this and we'll be covering it and it'll be class but um, yeah we, we, we'll see some of the other ones though like I will I will go to a World Cup at some point have you been to one Steve? a World Cup? no no uh, uh, I very nearly got to France um, but no it's just a mistake Patrick you've been to the Euros haven't you? you're at the Euros yeah um, so I'd love to go to a World Cup but like, I think did you say Patrick some of the South American teams were in for it? Yeah, there was a joint bid, or rumours of a joint bid, Paraguay, Uruguay, Argentina, and another see, bid of, uh, all sort of Iberian Peninsula plus Morocco. Oof. See, I'd be all over the South American one. Like that, a, a, a dream would be to get to a World Cup in South America, but um, we shall see. It'll be interesting. Hopefully, if it does happen, it'll be a massive talking point. It'll be something to look forward to, I suppose, if it can get past the fact that Bojo the clown face. He'll be getting himself a massive... Well, hopefully his massive pat on the back will be himself patting himself into the teams, but that's different to the podcast. <laughs> uh, let's turn it back to finish off on the football. Now, um, some of the games Definitely just finished... one Aston Villa nil, by the way. Uh, just, do, you want to, do you want to take over my part of the podcast there, Brent? No, I'm just saying, just to give you a bit of, oh, well, give you a bit of context there. Because Leicester, Leicester drew. Leicester, they're doing that thing again, you all said they would do. They're starting to fall apart. Um, uh-huh. Coming up very soon, Stephen, is your beloved Manchester United against Roy Hodgson's uh, tricky, very, very tricky uh, Crystal Palace. They don't, what, they've had like three shots on target in two games or something daft. Uh, they, just, they just don't want to attack, they just want to defend. Um, but let's talk about Sunday, uh, Stephen and Brenton. Mm. Uh, talk about the, the, the classic draw between yourselves. <laughs> Uh, Stephen, I'll let you go first on this. What did you make of Sunday? What did you make of what do you make of Ollie's record in the big six? And also, like, why are those Chelsea boys picking on Harry Maguire? What's going on there? Well, I mean, it's easy to pick on Harry Maguire, isn't it? We'd all do it. We'd all do it if we could. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think it's it's incredible how you. Watch football as a child, and then you play football as a professional footballer the way Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer did. You're involved in like some of the most exciting and interesting games that have ever happened. You come off the bench and score four goals in a massive win. You come off the bench and win a Champions League for your team, and then you become a manager and you see nil nil as a positive result. And <laughs> like, what happens? Like, what, I'd love to know the psychology of what happens to you that this becomes. You know, something that you come out afterwards and you say, the boys did great and I'm happy with the performance. And look, United were denied a stonewall penalty, but at the same time, they've had their run of penalty luck over the last two seasons. So I'm not going to complain too much about that. Um, but at the same time, it's what happens is he came up against another manager who's absolutely in love with nil nil draws as well. And so, I mean, to be honest, I should have put two mortgage payments on a scoreless draw because it just seemed so... Even before the game started, it seemed just so destined that this was going to be the result. Um, and I think they could have played they could have played 180 minutes and I don't think anyone would have scored in that game. Uh, so, yeah, it it's just becoming all of it 
too predictable. Like, what's going to happen is United are what, now 12, 14 points behind um, Man City? 15. 15, there you go. They're going to get a scoreless draw with City on Sunday, and Salisbury's going to talk about the positives afterwards, and that is going to happen. I can almost guarantee it. Breton, Tuchel, like, he, he hasn't completely like blown the league apart, obviously, yet, but he's slowly and steadily um, getting a, a team in there that are, that are they're quite competent. Like, they're quite, they look like they're going to be hard to break down, too. Um, and he and he's been out like Tiger Silver a couple of games, but did a really really brilliant win away at Atletico Madrid. And and yes, they drew obviously Manchester United. Manchester United ahead of him the table well, since he's been there. So, what did you make of Sunday's performance and also the result? Um, I thought actually United um came out uh a bit better and or a bit more positive in the first half than I thought they would. Um. I thought they would definitely, um, especially going to Stamford Bridge, missing Cavani and, and Pogba, um, I thought they would definitely sit in a lot more and let Chelsea have... I mean, Chelsea did have more of the ball, but not as much as um, I thought they would have. Uh, and they actually they pressed quite high up the pitch. I think the in the first half, certainly, I think they probably um, didn't think Chelsea would would expect that from them. Um, but they never looked like they were going to score United. Um, I think, as you said, the one thing Tuchel's really done is is tighten up that defence. Um, and it, it has looked good. I think they've conceded like three goals since he's come in. Um, but yeah, Steve's right. Like the problem is at the other end, like they can't score goals. Um, they have so much attacking talent on paper and. Just, I've said to you before, like the, they're like Man City without the final third. I mean, they can control the ball all day long, but they don't get anywhere with it. Um, I did 18 shots against United, and for the life of me, I cannot remember five of them. Um, I don't know how that happened, but also, I did, and I've really tried to not have my Chelsea hat on, but I didn't think it was a Stonewall penalty. I think his hand is nearly up at his head. It's not an actual position. Like I just, like I, the, the, I, I, I would be annoyed. Right? Okay, that's okay. I'll take my United hat off. If it was a penalty against United, I would find it hard to argue against it. Um, but it, I don't know. It just when they look at Lamvar and you can like literally see the ball on his hand, resting on his hand, he's basically twirling it on his finger. Um, <laughs> I just don't know how you don't give it once you see whatever bit real time. If you've seen it, if you've seen the replay, I just don't know how you don't give it. Yeah, I I think what I thought of it was that Greenwood's arm, when he's running and he's moving, he pushes Hudson Odoi's arm onto it. Um, that's what I saw when I look back mm. at it. But um, I mean, probably with the standard of the other penalties that's been given. This season, it is a penalty, but again, they changed the rule halfway through, so who yeah. knows really what what is the standard. Um, but the fact that that is the main talking point from that game tells, I think, tells you everything you need to know about it. Um, Paddy, what, what did you, those, Paddy? Sorry, Pat, what did you make of uh, Solskjaer after the game and his comments? And also, no, by the way, I thought that was good. hilarious. <laughs> I knew you did. I was getting back to you and letting Paddy come in. <laughs> Paddy, what did you make of Solskjaer and also Luke Shaw's comments after the game? Regarding the referee? Yeah. Yeah, well, I've got to say, I haven't. I've seen just a, a video of it. I didn't see the game. I listened to most of it on the radio and I was walking the dog. So all I've seen really with my own eyes is the, the penalty incident, which I thought was a penalty. Um, and even on the radios, John Murray and Matthew Upson, they were really confused by what was going on. Uh, but I think they thought it was a penalty as well. But in terms of what, what Shaw said, so am I right in saying that he sort of suggested that, that the referee mentioned to Harry Maguire that he would look a bit foolish if he gave the penalty because of the time that it lapsed kind of thing? Yeah, he says he can't give it. I think it was more controversy. Yeah, yeah. Because United yeah. would get another penalty sort of thing. Yeah, that's that. That's worrying if he if he has said that. You know, obviously that's 
It's probably very to, hard for. They were quick to come out and say that he, he'd miss her or something. I think. Yeah, yeah I'll share. Okay. I'll share back them up in his interview, and then the club issued a statement through Harry Maguire, basically saying um, that yeah, he'd misheard, he'd misunderstood what he was saying, and that that uh, the comment didn't mean what Luke Shaw thought it meant. But it was very strange, a very strange <laughs> situation, um, particularly after what happened in the Brighton game as well. Like, I mean, VAR and how referees are interpreting what they're seeing on the screen really took a hammering this weekend, I think. I I, I was all for VAR, and I couldn't volley it hard enough. If I was if I was allowed to volley Zlatan and Vara at the minute, that'd be a tough choice for me to pick one, like, honestly. Um, what do you make, the three of you, uh, you just jump in here, um, about possibly making referees up? Definitely. You would do you should it? should definitely do it. Why? Well, it works well. In, in, I've seen it in some, some of the clubs of Australian soccer. Uh, the referees communicating with each other. It obviously happens routinely in cricket and rugby. Just no one, the rationale behind decisions, making it clear to the viewer on TV. We're, all we're going on is the commentator saying, oh, there's a VAR check, VAR check over, or, oh, he's going over to the screen. You know, that shouldn't be the commentator's job. We should be able to hear, you know, or sort of how the sausage is being made. It's just, it, it, it's baffling. If, if they've got nothing to hide, then just show us what the hell you're talking about. You know, it's only going to humanise refs and, and maybe make us understand a little bit about uh, what's going on in this sort of mythical Stockley Park Narnia. You know, like, just tell us. You'd pick up, I think, I, I think they should do it, obviously. But I think they're scared that they would pick up all the abuse that the refs are given as well, which they don't get in those other sports. Um, and that would be an even better reason <laughs> refs that have the authority to say, you know, any curse word or the FA sort of, um, you know, uh, a sort of initiative. If any curse word or any bad manners is brought to the referee, it's a red card. It's simple, like, just start doing it the way, like, there's respect in, in rugby for officials. It's ridiculous. I think maybe the better solution is to force referees to do interviews after games, force them to defend their decisions. You know, in American football, after a game, the referee has to meet the press and they're asked about controversial decisions and why they came up, why they, they, they landed on the decision they landed. And I think if managers are, have to justify mistakes and players have to justify mistakes, referees are paid too. It's not like these guys are amateurs doing it for fun. They're paid. Um, and I think that, that, like, the worry, as you said, is that, you know, abuse is picked up, but, you know, if, if that's the number one blocker, say, for example, well, here's another solution that forced the referees to do interviews. It doesn't necessarily have to be a TV interview, but force them to speak to the media after game, uh, so that we know why they took the decisions they took. Because it, I think. They do it? Like 15 years ago, maybe? I remember them trying, um, and it not lasting very long. Um, because I think what was happening was they were basically um, making up laws of the game that didn't exist to justify the decisions they were taking. But at that stage, 15 years ago, they were amateur as well. Like, so you can kind of understand why you'd want to protect an amateur referee. Um, but like, if you're paid a wage and that wage is, and your job is to get these things right and you're like, how how many things does Lee Mason have to get wrong? Be, like in, I know he has an injury in inverted commas now. He does, and I hope. Yeah, like I mean, like that, even that, like that's just so Slevini to kind of like hide behind an injury when we all know that he has more than likely been dropped from the elite panel because of the horrendous amount of mistakes he's made. Um, but I feel that even just that step of making them answer, say, even three questions after the game about the, the three most controversial incidents in every game, at least to get their thought process behind it. Because sometimes I, 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 like, I just wonder, like, what game are they watching to take some of the decisions they do? And then I, I'm not advocating for every referee to start, like, doing MMA on players like that guy in, what was it, League 1 or League 2? Um, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I just... I. I just wish they were a little bit more visible post game, and, and, and 
I could get a sense. Like, say that handball, like Brendan and I, like we have different viewpoints on it. Why don't we know what decision, why he took the decision he took? Like, it makes no yeah. sense that we don't know that. I think part part of the the reason why they don't do the interviews or they're not mic'd up or whatever is because the uh, I know JD is is a big uh, fan of this point of view is that they don't actually all know the rules they don't actually all know the rules that they're supposed to know and I don't know if that's because they're changing too much or um, there's too many um, but for that Lee Mason one like he didn't know about blowing the whistle and then blowing it twice mm. and or or else he he completely forgot that he'd done it or something, but something is not right with the standard um of of the of that referee because as you say, how many mistakes did he need to make? Yeah. I was actually um, surprised he got the penalty. Either, you know, with the ball coming back off the post um and the same player touching it twice. Considering the commentators got it wrong in the game as to what the he blew his whistle for, I was actually surprised considering the mistakes he'd made in that game that he remembered that rule. And it, yeah. it could absolutely be that they actually don't know all the rules they're supposed to be, you know, implementing. And like that's pretty damning for a group of professionals. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's I would. It's a tough job. Like I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't envy the referees. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult sort of heat of the moment stuff all the the pressure and we're all going to I suppose I, I totally see Steve's point about speaking after the game that focuses all decisions on to the referee whereas and then they become a sort of a bit of a sort of victim or a place that idiots can funnel their hate towards and throw, throw things at when he's doing a shopping or whatever I just wonder if they take a more collaborative approach and if they mic'd up and, and you can clearly hear him either communicating with his linesman uh, or, or they're not called linesman anymore, what are they called? Assist, assistant assistant referee referees. And the, and the fourth, um, or the guy in the box and the fourth official, if it's more of a team thing and they're communicating and we can hear that clearly on TV or yeah. whatever, yeah, that would be the approach that I would favour, but I, I can definitely see sort of multiple sides of it though. I would, I would make them, but you wouldn't hear anything in game, uh, like that. You wouldn't obviously some sneaky TV station would probably break something, and you'd hear maybe I don't know, uh, Henderson calling someone a prick or something, like that, whatever. Um, but I would have it where when it comes to like the VAR decision, like in rugby, you hear the the VAR official because sometimes it's the VAR official that makes these decisions for the referee on the field and then it's the referee on the field that gets all the, the grief whereas he's just going with what he's been told by his mate and when he's coming over his mate's maybe coercing him into it and I think sometimes this has happened and I have no idea this sounds mad like a conspiracy thing but I think sometimes the referee in the VAR is making a decision and he's taking it out of the referee on the pitch's hands when the decision's wrong do you know what I mean? That has happened, and I, I think that's what I'd do. And also, Steve's point's really good about the interview. We should be able to, to ask a referee, where did you get that decision from? I know just from my recent experience in the Irish League, a lot of Irish League <laughs> managers would like to speak to certain referees and ask where they came to our decisions, even there's some last night in the game I was at, and they'd want to know what was going on. And it would be nice to just get the clarification from them. Where did you come to that decision? Not necessarily... You were wrong straight away off the bat, but explain to me why you thought you were right there. You know, but we'll see what happens. Um, it's certainly yeah, even if the microphone. Yeah. So, Go ahead. If the if the microphone thing, as you say, like if you if there's a review or if there's something controversial, turn the microphones on. You know, so that you can just hear that conversation and then turn them off yeah. again. Just so we we know then, like, and I know it's not all about us at home, but just so people know then what where they came to that decision. When they're at the VAR, like we're like the other day, uh, that Lee Mason instant, how that conversation, why that conversation came about, or even the ones where they haven't gone to VAR and they've been asked why didn't they go to VAR, like why did you think you were right there and what well, you didn't look, but it's definitely one football should look at. If they're going to keep VAR, then that's what they should do, and hopefully they don't keep it, but I think they're going to. Um, I think that'll do us for this week. I don't think there's anything else. There's obviously. Football on the minute. There's a big game on tonight. Liverpool beat Chelsea, which I'm sure we'll get into on next week's podcast. Um, 
But I don't think there's anything else for us to cover this week, Hughes. Nope. I think that's us. Three um, minutes for Steve to get get settled for the end. Oh, yes, I'm trying to get done. Oh, it's, it's on mute here in the background, and I can see that David De Gea is not starting, and I don't know, is he dropped? Is it injury? What's going on? So oh, interesting. That'll be You've got a very inspiring double pivot of Maric and Fred, though, to get you through. Oh, man. Oh, Did I not just say last week I never want to see those two together? <laughs> 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 Like no matter what, oh my! Oled not only uh, goes to the Chelsea website, he also listens to the Babel. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would um, say it is the best platform. That's the only good thing about it. So let's see how that goes. Steve, as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I also just realised I'm going to be 48 if that World Cup happens in Ireland. So that's fun. Lovely, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you very much. The boss man, Mr. Brenton, thank you very much. No problem, good crack. Um, Johnny, when you're listening, go root yourself. Um, so that'll do it this week, folks. Get all our podcasts on your podcast apps. Just look for uh, the Football Babble Pod. We're on Instagram and Twitter, and of course, we are on Patreon. If you can donate just one uh, pounds of your your dollar bills. You can fire into us. That's all. 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 All we're after. We're not after much. Uh, and thanks to everyone that keeps contributing to the Patreon. That's class. Hopefully it'll pick up and then um, we'll get more done down the line. What's the link for Patreon, Brenton? Patreon.com/forward/slash/football bubble. See you next week, folks. Good luck. <laughs>